Man, it is good to be with you all today. It is Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, Glenn preached last week, blessed are those who mourn. <laughs> it has been a long period of mourning in the cowboy family. All my cowboys say amen to that, please. Oh, there's a lot of you. Yeah, we're not fans. We are mourners. That is who we are. Hey, I want to do something really quick. I want to welcome our online campus with us today. There are hundreds of people online with us each and every weekend. Do me a favor, let them know. Y'all are loved. We're so glad you guys are with us. So it is Super Bowl Sunday, and I just begin to think about this thing that is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and as a Cowboys fan, like, I just have these moments where it's like, do we just surrender each and every week? We have these glimmers of hope, and it's like, nope, just joking. We surrender. Could you imagine if today in Los Angeles, the coaches get into their, their, their locker rooms with their players and they said, new strategy today. We're going to have one play, just one play. And they, they lay out the one play and they just begin to say, you know, we're, gonna, we're just going to do this one thing. And this one thing is going to be something really, really, really simple. We're just going to go out and we're going to surrender We're not going to do anything. In fact, I want you to go out on the field and I want you to be weaker. I want you to be slower. I want you to be more timid. I want you to be polite. Now, everybody put your hands in. Everybody get in. And on the count of three, one, two, three, surrender. That seems absurd. Like, I mean, how many of you would tune in to watch that Super Bowl? I wouldn't. I might watch the first like, couple plays to see them just get annihilated. That would be kind of fun for like five minutes, right? But then after a while, you'd be like, what are they doing? Well, why, why, is that, why is that happening? You're like, I wouldn't watch that. I actually have watched it for the last decade of my life. My cowboys do it every week. <laughs> I've seen it. But it's absolutely absurdity in our minds to watch something like that. And so I'm wondering, like, the values of our world, if we just look at our world, there's words like this, winning, conquest, possession, control, strength, power, self-assurance, confidence, aggressiveness. And what is the root of all that? The need to be in control. The need to be in control. And being out of control is one of the most feared experiences, right? Nobody likes to be out of control. You don't like that feeling of being out of control. It's the core that kind of makes us think of self. It's our protective mode. Like we live in a culture that's a never surrender kind of culture. That's the culture we live in. Like if I say the word meekness in our world, you immediately hear this like you're devalued and it means you're weak, right? We live in a world where we think meek equals weak. If I, if I say to you, you're a very meek individual, you're like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm strong. And, and it's really interesting to me, this, this word meek. We're, we're going to talk about this because we never want to surrender. We don't want to be seen as weak. I, I've got these two friends. Uh, one guy is named Andy. The other guy's name is PJ. And I took them to the Dominican Republic, and we were doing kind of a scouting trip for a mission that, uh, that I'm a part of. And one of the parts of the mission is church planning. And we went to this church plant, and then the Dominican Republic, um, they actually planted a church in a cigar factory. And there's a whole really cool story around that. But we went to tour the factory with the pastor, which I think is a hilarious thing to go do, tour a cigar factory with the pastor at the cigar factory. That's hilarious to me. 
And so we go in, and they're taking us into all these spaces, and there's, a, there's an aging room inside of this cigar uh, factory, and in the aging room, they take the leaf from the field, and they put it in this aging room, and it releases all of the toxins in the leaf. And when you walk in, it smells like ammonia, because that's what comes out of the leaf. And, and so they, there's a joke at the factory, and they're like, see how, like, see if you can last a minute inside of the aging room. And so we walk in, and you're in there like 10 seconds, and your eyes are swelling shut, and you're crying, and your nose, I think, starts to bleed at some point. I don't think that's true, but it felt like it. And, and, and so I was like, get me out of here. I don't want anything to do with this. And then my friend Andy looked at PJ, and he said, I bet you can't stay in here longer than me. <laughs> so you already see where this is headed. Now, they're both two of the most highly competitive people I've ever met in my life. And PJ goes, I bet I can stay in here for 10 minutes. Andy said, I'll see your 10 minutes. So we left them because we didn't want to die a slow, painful death. So we went on with our tour. About 15 minutes later, I had this epiphany. We hadn't seen PJ and Andy in quite some time. And I really had this fear come over me. I'm like, I just killed two people in the Dominican. That's what my thought was. So I went running back to the aging room and I opened the door and there, I mean, their eyes are teared and red and they're just standing there looking at each other like this. They looked like they'd been in a bad movie out of like the 60s. I mean, they just, they, it was a mess. And I was there like, guys, you got it. You, seriously, you're doing damage to your bodies at this point. You've got, I can't explain to your wives why you, you have problems when you come home. You've got enough of them already. You don't need more. And finally, I said, could you guys just relent? Tie. It's a tie. It's okay. And they looked at each other, and, and Andy kind of opens the door and lets PJ step out. And the minute PJ stepped out, he goes, I told you I'd last longer. <laughs> we, just, we just don't like this thing called weakness. We don't like this thing that, that just simply means that we might be weaker than someone else. So what does this mean for you today? Well, what, what if I told you that one of the greatest ways to freedom, let, let me ask you, how many of you would love to live a life of freedom? Anybody just show of hands? Right, see, that sounds good, right? What if I told you that if you wanted to live a life of freedom, the greatest way to do that, to live boldly for the kingdom of God, was to actually surrender? Like, what if that's what it would take? What if I told you giving up actually would lead to living free? Like, what if I told you Jesus will transform what you surrender? Now, some of you, you're thinking that's absurd. Some of you right now, if you're like me, you're thinking there, there is no way I'm going to be a doormat for the kingdom of God. Because you hear meekness as weakness. But what if we've missed the entire meaning of that word? In scripture. What if we've missed what Jesus meant? I want to take you to a scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. If you've got Bibles, open them up. If you've got the Bible app on your phone, open it up. Uh, if you don't have any of those things, we love you so much at Pantano. It'll be right there, okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. It says, blessed are the what? What's it say? Me. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So Jesus flips this word on its head, which Jesus is really good at doing. I don't know if you know this about Jesus, but Jesus is really good at taking things the world says is one way and going, but watch this. It's kind of like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Like he just kind of flips everything on its head. If you don't understand that reference, don't go watch any Quentin Tarantino movies, okay? How could meekness lead to inheriting the earth? Well, let's start by understanding meekness. It, it, let's, here's what it doesn't mean. 
It doesn't mean coward. It doesn't mean shy. It doesn't mean gullible. It doesn't mean timid. It doesn't mean polite or compromised or bowled over. That's not what meekness means. There's a Greek word that Jesus uses here, and the Greek word is praus. It's kind of a fun word to say. Just say the word praus. Isn't that fun to say? And here's what it means. It means power under control. I love that definition. Power under control. So off of that definition, the word meek equals power under control. And if meekness is true surrender, then surrender is actually power under control. I don't know if you've ever seen a wild horse. Actually, if you live in Arizona, it's a pretty good chance you've seen a wild horse. I think I almost hit one in the vehicle I was driving the other day, driving through the desert. I didn't know that was a thing here, that horses just got to do what they wanted to do. But if you've ever seen a wild horse that's never been broken, they're out of control. They'll kick, they'll bite. If you try to get on one, which would be kind of fun to video and see what you could do with that, but they'll probably buck you off. They're out of control. Because the only way it knows how to be in control is to be out of control. But it's really interesting to me that if you just take a a bit and some training with a wild horse, you can actually transform that horse through brokenness. So when you break that horse, when that horse goes through that breaking, that horse has a transformation moment. And, And that transformation moment is what actually makes it power under control. Because once you have a horse that has been broken, now all of its power is under control to be used for the best things. That's what happens when true brokenness happens and the horse experiences surrender is when it's transformed. See, when we are broken, that is when we find the greatest transformation of power under control in our lives. When that horse is broken, all of its power now can be generated into the thing that it was meant to do. There's a reason that your car has horsepower. Maybe we ought to train. How much human power does your car have? Mine's got 700 people power. (laughs) That'd be hilarious. I'm not going to lie. That thing got a Hemi? Nah. 800 person power. Welcome to my mind. All right, y'all. Because we're no different than that horse. You're a strong person. You may not think so, but you're a strong person. Yet your strength out of control can cause a lot of hurt and a lot of damage. Some of you, you you know what I'm talking about. Maybe it destroyed your marriage. It's destroyed your friendships, relationships with your kids, maybe even other people in the church. Because your power has been out of control. See, when we're trying to control ourselves, our pride kicks in. We try to control ourselves. We we just try to to hold on to everything we can, and, and whatever we can hold on to becomes ours. And Jesus says, why don't you give all that up? In Matthew 5, 5, he says, blessed are the what? for they will inherit the earth. So the challenge we face, if you're like me, is that we're stubborn. In fact, if you're you're like me, we want to be in control. We want it our way. We want it in our day. We want Burger King faith. We want it now, and we want it our way. And if it's flame grilled, even better. Like we're a little bit of control freaks. Like, do me a favor. If you're a control freak, raise your hand. All you raise your hand aren't control freaks. The control freaks won't raise their hand. You're like, I'm not raising my hand. You're not going to tell me what to do. 
Raise your hand, preacher man. Let's see you raise yours first. I'm not raising mine either. Power under control, baby. Meekness. Let's go. See, we're control freaks. Let me tell you where I'm a control freak. On an airplane. Now, if you saw me on an airplane, you'd think calm, cool, collected. I've been on a lot of airplanes lately. I get on there. I sit. I look like I got it all together. I sit there. I'm in my nice little seat. And by little, I mean little because they're getting smaller for some reason. And, and I'm sitting there, but in my head, I'm screaming. And my thought is, if I could just fly this plane, I think we'd be better. <laughs> just for the record, that's not true. I don't know how to fly a plane. But I think I could figure it out. I've got a drone at home. It can't be that much different. I only crashed that like three times in my backyard. So how hard can an airplane be? And I just truly believe, like in my head, when I'm on an airplane, I'm like, if I could just be the one to do this and do this, I, th- I think that we'd be safer. Some of you guys are like, I would never get on an airplane you're flying. I wouldn't either. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm safer if I was in control of that airplane. And honestly, what I want is to fly the plane. That's not what I need to do. What I need to do is let the person that knows how to fly the plane be in control. I need to actually let the power be in control. And so here's what I know. When we pursue our areas of want, it leaves us empty in our areas of need. Let me say that again. When we pursue our areas of want, it leaves us empty in our areas of need. So I want to take you to just a chapter over, same sermon. By the way, we're in a series called Playbook. And these, these beatitudes that we're in, they actually progress. Jesus progresses these, and this is a playbook for life, how we live this life that Jesus has called us to. And it's, it's the beginning of this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching. And if you go just a chapter over, Jesus actually speaks of what we are studying today. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of what? Unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you what? Need. So it's amazing to me how often we think that we know what is best, yet we, we negate what God tells us is best. I do it all the time. And God just constantly reminds me, it's not about you, buddy. You're not in control. In fact, most of the time, we might even know exactly what God has told us to do, but we actually prefer our luxury over his provision. So don't miss that. Sometimes we would prefer our luxury over his provision. Bottom line is that we prefer our house over his house. We prefer our kingdoms over his kingdom, our interest over his desires. And yet, when we put ourselves ahead of God, it never really produces what we need. That's why you can meet people that have everything they could ever want or imagine, and they still go, I just don't feel like I've got everything I need. There's an emptiness. And it's interesting, and I ask you to write this down, because a lot of us, our past is what dictates our future. We, we live in these past hurts, these past pains. Even sometimes our past successes can become the thing that keeps us from what God has called us uh, to be. And I would just say this, looking back instead of looking ahead is what hinders our future. Looking back instead of looking ahead usually is what hinders our future. Those past hurts, those past successes. 
In fact, those, those past hurts without surrender to Jesus will always keep, be keeping us from what God has called us to. It'll always keep us from that. If we always just look back and we can't get past and surrender those things of our past, we will never be able to get to the future God wants for us. I think one of the greatest stories of this comes from Genesis chapter 22. And it's a story of this guy named Abraham. Now, I don't know if you know the story of Abraham, but Abraham is kind of one of the big patriarchs of Scripture. And Abraham and his wife have been promised a son. In fact, they've been promised that that your lineage is where basically all of humanity is going to come. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars are the seashore. And it's really interesting because uh, Abraham and his wife wait 100 years to have their baby. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. My grandmother died at the like, age of 90-something. And I can't imagine my grandmother being like, hey, guess what? We're having a gender reveal party. Come on over. <laughs> Any of y'all creeped out by that a little bit? Because I am. <laughs> that's just not something that, that's normal to me. A hundred years, they get a son. His name's Isaac. They've waited for Isaac. God's promised this son. God's given this son. Now, Abraham, I think Abraham took longer to get this son because Abraham was pretty stubborn. And he kept trying to, to go back to these things that God was like, nope, move forward. And finally, there just comes this moment where finally he has his son. So I want to pick up there. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and I love this. Abraham's like, here am I. He's like, here I am. I'm right here. I'm here. What do you you want, God? And I want you to hear this right away because if you notice something about Abraham, he's got full surrender and trust in God at this point. When he says Abraham, he doesn't go, what do you want? I'm too busy for you right now, God. Call me tomorrow. My kid's got like four soccer games this afternoon. You're going to have to wait, God. Nope, he just says, here I am. What I love about that, he's willing to trust God with his future because he's seen how he's transformed his past. In fact, I want to have you write this down. Surrender starts with a here I am attitude. Surrender starts with a here I am attitude. Look at verse two. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. So far, it's like, hey, we're taking a trip with dad. Awesome. Until the next word. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. We'll come back to that. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him his two servants, his son Isaac, and when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now, I don't know about you, but as a dad, I've got all sorts of thoughts on this. Let me be clear about something. I don't think God is going to ask you to go kill your child. I don't think God is asking Abraham to kill his child. I think God is testing Abraham to see if he's truly surrendered. But just put yourself in these shoes for a moment. The son you've waited 100 years for. Who's probably... maybe a, a, a middle-aged like child to like eight years old, some believe as far as up to maybe 15 or 16, you're going to see Isaac's old enough to know something's up. But did, did you hear Abraham's response? 
God said, I want you to take the son you love, I want you to take him up the mountain, offering as a burnt sacrifice. And nowhere in scripture does it record that Abraham is like, yeah, God, before we do that, I just got a few questions. Like, I'm going to need to know a couple things. Actually, what scripture says is the very next morning, he got up, loaded the car, got the wood ready for the trailer, and off they went. He doesn't hesitate. He's simply obedient. Because, see, when you surrender, you surrender everything, not just part of your life, all of your life. And he's willing to surrender it all. And what he probably wants is not to kill his son. But what he's willing to do is if, if the God who provided him is telling me to go do this, then he must have a reason for why I'm doing this. So I surrender. It says on the third day, verse 4, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then, then what's the word after then? We. I think this is so profound. Then we will come back to you. He has so much faith in his God that he trusts that if I take him up there, somehow I'm bringing him back. I don't know how he's going to provide. I don't know how he's going to do it. But I've seen him do it so many times in my life. I'm just going to surrender, and I'm going to believe that God will provide the way that is best for me and my son. And if that means I'm going to have to sacrifice him, somehow God's going to bring us through this. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, I love this. This is such a son moment. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son. Hey, the fire and the wood are here. So where's the lamb for the burnt offering? He was probably having one of those prepubescent moments of like, dad forgot again. I know I should have brought the lamb. Dad's always forgetting the lamb. Got the wood, got the fire, dad. Where's the lamb? You forgot it, didn't you? Do you want me to call mom? Let me hop on Life 360, see where mom's at. Oh, she's at the sheep pen right now. You want me to have her pick one up? But he's so astute. He's like, hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? In verse eight, Abraham answered, God himself, Listen to this. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. He's so surrendered, so in tune with the God that he serves. He's like, he'll provide. And it says, and the two of them went on together. I I want you to write this down this morning too. Surrender will always lead to God's provision. Surrender will always lead to God's provision. We may not understand it. We might not be able to make sense of it. But when we go, you know what, God, you get all of me. It's amazing how God provides. It's amazing to me how he provides. Go on to verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, and there he arranged the wood on it, and then he bound his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, if I'm Isaac in this moment, I'm like, Dad has lost his mind. Like, Dad takes his son. Like, was there a struggle? I want to know. These are the things I want to ask. Like, did he fight his dad? Like, Dad, what? Dad, get the rope off me. This isn't funny anymore. Did, did he, like, try to fight back? It, it doesn't say any of that in the scripture. It just says that he bound him. Like, he trusted his father. You got to trust dad. If dad's tying you to the altar and he forgot the lamb, God's going to provide and he lays you on the altar. And then verse 10, then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Do you understand how trusting and how surrendered to God you have to be to even raise that knife? 
I gotta be honest with you, I got two daughters. I couldn't do it. I would love to tell you that as, as your new lead pastor, oh, I'd sacrifice my children all day. <laughs> First of all, if I said that, y'all shouldn't hire me, all right? <laughs> now, I know some of you are thinking, I got teenagers too, bro, I'm with you, I would too. No, I still wouldn't. <laughs> I love my girls, they're watching right now online. Baby, I love both of you, Natalie, Ella, I love you. Promise I'm not gonna slay you, okay? First of all, the faith that it takes for Abraham to raise his hand with that knife in it. The trust that God's going to provide somehow, like he's right here. And it says, verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And you notice his response is the same response he gave God at the beginning. Here I am. But I bet there was a little more desperation that here I am moment. I bet he, the minute he heard the angel's voice, I bet he's like, I'm done, I'm out. And he goes, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me even your own son, your only son. Which, by the way, if you know the story of Scripture, does this sound a whole lot like a story that happens that we celebrate around April every year? By the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's Easter, okay? Some some of y'all are, you're thinking the equinox? That's weird. We don't do that. Um, See, Abraham was willing to surrender everything to God. Everything. There was nothing he wasn't willing to surrender. He he was going to do exactly what God called him to because he knew God will provide for me in this moment. Now, is God calling you to sacrifice your child? Probably not. But in some ways, he is. He's asking you to surrender them to him. He's asking you to surrender all of you to him, all of your family to him, all of your life to him, your job to him, your income to him, everything that you have in your life. He's like, I want all of it, and I promise you I will provide for you through it. But if you try to hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life, you will gain it. See, he longs for a surrendered heart. Listen to what happens with Abraham. Verse 13, I love this. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. What a great line. I guess, I'm guessing as a father that instead of his son line was the greatest line he'd ever got. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. By the way, just so you know, we live on the mountain of God providing. When we surrender, yeah. When we surrender, that's the mountain we live on. It says the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I love this, by the way, I swear by myself. Isn't that funny? God's like, I swear by me. (laughs) See, in our culture, that's a little bit derogatory, right? We say, I swear to God, and God's like, I swear by myself. I think that's hilarious. I don't know why that's so funny to me, but when you read scripture, there's funny stuff like that in it. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through our offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. By the way, we're still experiencing that blessing today. You understand that, right? Like we know Jesus because of these kind of moments. Then Abraham returned to his servants 
with his son. And they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed there. I love this. Abraham gives us the example of surrender. He's meek. He's power under control. In the truest sense of the word, he, he's gentle with strength. He, he, was he perfect? No. If you read the story of Abraham, he is not perfect. But every day he was learning about this leaning on God. It took him a lot of time. It took him many years to get past this stubbornness, to get to this place that God would use him. It, it, was, it was not because God didn't want to use him. He was waiting for him to be fully surrendered in order to use him to the fullest of what he called him to. That's how he gets used. So, so what does this mean for you? Honestly, what meekness really means is that we would have a teachable spirit. We'd have a teachable spirit. That daily we would be looking to become more like Christ and less like the world. That as we are in this world, we help them see the upside down nature of the gentleness of Christ. The meekness, this power under control. That's the very definition of a disciple, that we would be continually learning and growing. That we would be what God has called us to. It means that like Abraham, you surrender everything in your life. That means our families, our jobs, our finances, our rights, our future. Because here's what I know. When we surrender, it leads to saved souls. When we surrender our lives, it leads to saved souls. When somebody sees you living a surrendered life, they start to ask questions. Why on earth would you live a life like that? Why on earth would you give up your rights? Why on earth are you being nice to me? Have you ever had somebody ask you that? Why are you treating me this way? I don't deserve to be treated this way. I don't deserve for you to love me. I don't deserve for you to like me. Well, let me tell you why. Because um, the power under control in my life is the meekness of the Spirit of God. 26 people last weekend stepped from, from power of this world into power of Christ being baptized. Amen. By the way, you know what that is? That's full surrender. Dying to self and raising to new life is full surrender. When you fully surrender is where transformation takes place. That's where healing happens. When I was a kid, we had a dog. His name was Sam. And Sam was a Samoyed. I think that's why my mom and dad named him Sam. He was a Samoyed. If you don't know what a Samoyed is, they're those big, puffy, white sled dogs. He was like a big cotton ball. And uh, Sam was a bit of an escape artist. They should have named him Houdini. He could get out of anything. He got loose one night, and he got into a porcupine. <laughs> Somebody was really upset about that. No, no, no. What's the dog doing? Now, knowing Sam, he was probably just, he thought it was something fun to play with, and it got him. And, and it was all in his mouth. And my dad tells, actually, my dad's in the room right now. He's over here, and uh, he's in town visiting. And uh, I love this story of Sam because I, my mom was very pregnant with me when this happened. And that's key to the story, by the way. Um, because it was either she was going to pull the quills or she was going to lay on the dog. And so she ended up drawing the straw to lay on the dog while my dad pulled the quills. And, and they tell the story that, that Sam, the first couple pulls, was not happy. He was fighting. He was growling. He was like, don't touch me. But after about three or four more pulls, my dad said he started to calm down. Because he realized the only way he was going to find healing was going through the pain of transformation. And the only way that he was going to find healing was through surrendering to my dad. 
to let him pull those quills out. And it took a while, because when Sam did things, he did them really good. But it took this period of time to get those quills out. But it wasn't until he truly surrendered to my dad that he was going to be transformed and healed. And for some of you, you got a mouthful of quills today. And there's going to be some pain. And surrender is usually painful, but necessary. But when you go through the transformation of Jesus, when you, when you go through this beautiful process, and you truly surrender, you truly become meek, power under control, it changes not only your life, but the lives around you. Can you imagine what a fully surrendered church could do? I mean, we, we see in the New Testament what happened when 12 men surrendered their life. We're the product of that today. Nearly 2,000 years later, we're the product of 12 surrendered men. You know what would happen if, let's just say Pantano, every single one of us that called Pantano home online or in this room, we just went, you know what, we're going to fully surrender. Here's what I know. Some amazing things have happened in the 60-year history of Pantano. We're all a part of that. But I believe that Pantano's best days are still ahead of her. And when a church fully surrenders... The things that we've already seen happen, they look like a blip on the radar screen to what God wants to do. He wants to take a church and turn it into the life-giving, soul-saving entity that he meant for it to be. That people far from God would be drawn to our God because we've got power under control. We've become meek, fully surrendered. Because you know what's interesting about the white flag? The white flag is typically a sign of surrender. You wave the white flag because you've surrendered your life. And when you realize that surrender is meekness and meekness is power under control, then we ought to long to wave the white flag to the world around us. To say, we surrender to you, God. We surrender all of who we are. We surrender our church. We surrender our lives. We surrender our hearts. And when the church says, we're going to surrender and be meek. It's not then that we become weak, it's then that we become powerful for the kingdom. That we would have power under control. Maybe you're here today and you long to live this out. You saw 26 people last week surrender their lives to Jesus for the first time. Understand something, to inherit the earth equals meek. To conquer the earth equals worldly power. God doesn't call us to worldly power. He calls us to inherit the earth with the meekness of Jesus' power under control. So the question is, what's stopping us? We, we know that we are the main reason that God's kingdom is usually neglected. The things that get in the way of our lives. So I'd just ask, what are you gonna do about it in your own life? Some of you today, you actually need to follow suit from last week. By the way, every Sunday is Baptism Sunday. We have special weekends for it. Some of y'all need to do that today. In fact, if you want to be baptized, I would encourage you to text 46356. Just text the word this morning, surrender, to 46356. Some of you today, you need to go all in. You need to say, you know what? I want to be a part of the mission of the church in Pantano and reaching people for Jesus. Then I would tell you, go to text surrender to 46356 and click on your next steps. 
and find out what to do next. For some of you, you need to pray with somebody. We're gonna have some prayer partners down front here in a few moments that we want you to pray with. And we're gonna have a song, a decision today, and you can come pray with somebody today. If it's your first time, come out to Starting Point out in our courtyard. We'd love to meet you. We've got volunteers and staff out there. We'd love to start the journey with you here at Pantano, but it starts with power under control that we would wave our white flag of meekness to the world around us and say, we, we surrender all so that you can be saved. So I'm gonna ask you to stand where you are if you don't mind. I wanna pray for us. Um, then we'll have a time of decision. Um, and then we're gonna celebrate some more things together today. Let's pray. Father, today. God, we, we pray today, God, that we would be a surrendered people. God, that we would be meek, that we would be power under control. The power of the spirit inside of us is what will control our lives. God, that we would lay it all down. God, that we would be willing to, to lay down everything in our life so that people would know you. God, I pray for some today that, that need to literally die to self and raise a new life through baptism. I pray for some today that, that maybe they're letting their past dictate their, their future. And God, that today that they would, they would actually surrender their past to their present so that you can dictate their future. God, for some of us, we need to come alongside of somebody else. We need to help them see the power of meekness and surrender to you. God, we love you. We thank you for being a God who, who rescues us from ourselves. God, make this a church, make this a community the gates of hell can never prevail against as we surrender ourselves to you. God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.